Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. Bible Crossfire, we allow you to call in, get in the crossfire, ask a Bible question, make a point from the Bible. Even in, and we do it in a friendly way, we can argue about what the scriptures actually say. There's nothing really worth arguing compared to what the scriptures say because our eternal destiny is dependent upon us believing and practicing the truth. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we want to discuss this. If we have a difference, Ephesians 4, 3 says we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. That means we're going to try to come to an agreement by studying the Bible, talk about different points until we can come to agreement. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We can't go by what seems right to us. What may, because that's not necessarily the right thing. What is right is described by God's word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we're going to be sanctified, made clean by the truth. And the word of God defines for us what the truth is. So on this program, the word of God is going to decide what the truth is. I thought we were, while we're waiting on our first call, we would look at a text here, Galatians 3, 19 through the end of the chapter. Galatians 3, 19 through 29, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3 and follow along. The number to call if you have a Bible question, of course, is 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. Let me start by reading Galatians 3, 19 and 20. It says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Wherefore then serveth the law? The newer translations will say something like, what was the purpose of the law? He's talking about the purpose of the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. It said it was added because of transgressions. That's the purpose to point out what sin is. Notice this key phrase, till the seed should come. The law was added till the seed should come. Well, who's the seed in this context? The end of verse 16 says, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Christ is the seed here. So you remember the law was added when Moses went up and got the law. Not just 10 commandments. Somebody's counted 613 commandments. The law was added when Moses went up and got the law on Mount Sinai. And it was in effect for many centuries. Then it says, till the seed should come, Jesus Christ. Well, did Christ come? Well, he certainly did. So the law was added in the time of Moses was in effect for many centuries till the seed should come. This program is supposed to end at 830 Central. We'll say the program Bible Crossfire is to last till 830 Central. What do I mean by that? It means it's going to stop at 830 Central, right? So when it says the law was added till the seed should come, that means the law would stop being in effect, being binding when Christ came. Of course, that matches up exactly with what we read in Colossians 2, verse 14. It says, talking about Jesus, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So this Old Testament law 
These ordinances, laws ordained by God in the Old Testament, the Bible says clearly Jesus blotted them out, took them out of the way, and nailed them to the cross. So they ceased to be binding when Jesus died on the cross. That matches up with what we're reading here in Galatians 3.19. The law was added till the siege had come. Christ came, and when he died, the law became obsolete, no longer binding. Christ brought in the new law. Instead of being under the law of Moses, that's just the Jews for those centuries before Christ came. Moses was their leader. Now we're under the New Testament law, Matthew through Revelation, called at least twice the law of Christ. Christ is our leader. You want to know what to do to do to be please God today, what to do to be saved, how to worship God, how to live your everyday life. You turn to the New Testament, not the Old. The Old Testament was added Till the seed should come, meaning after the seed came, after Christ came, the law was no longer valid anymore, no longer to be used. We have a new law, the New Testament law, the law of Christ. We're saved by grace, but God still expects us to obey him. But what law does he expect us to obey? Not the Old Testament law with animal sacrifices, the prohibition against eating pork and catfish, the the Sabbath. None of those laws are binding anymore. We're under the New Testament law. That's what we obey today in order to please God. The New Testament, not the Old. Now, we still study the Old Testament law, of course, because the New Testament law quotes or refers to the Old Testament law almost constantly. So we study the Old Testament law, not because it's our law for today, but because it's going to help us understand the New Testament law. Kind of a parallel would be the law of England and the law of the United States. You know, we had 13 colonies under the law of England, but then there was a Revolutionary War, and none of those colonies are under the law of England anymore. They're under the law of the United States. Now, lawyers will still study the law of England because it's going to help them understand the law of the United States because the law of the United States, in effect, in a way, came from the law of England. But we're not under the law of England. We're under the law of the United States. We're not under the Old Testament, the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ, the New Testament law. Well, that's what this says in verse 19. The law was added till the seed should come, and the seed came. Therefore, that would imply that the law is no longer serving that purpose anymore. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. The lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Verse 21 of Galatians 3. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up into the faith, which would afterwards, should afterwards be revealed. So the law was not against the promises of God. For example, in verse 17 of this same chapter, it says, And this I say that the covenant, which was confirmed, Before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be make the promise of none effect. What promise is he talking about? Verse 16. Now to Abraham, his seed were the promises made. He says, not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. So that promise made to Abraham was not disannulled by the law of Moses, which came about 430 years later. And I suppose that's what he's talking about there in verse 21 is the law against the promises of God. This law does not disannul the promise to Abraham. Now, verse 23 saying, talking about the faith, the system of faith brought in by Jesus Christ, the New Testament law, 
Before that came, we were kept under the law, shut up into the faith which should afterwards be revealed. The New Testament system. And then we come to verse 24 and 25. It says, wherefore the law, and this is the King James Version, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Hmm. Verse 25 says we're no longer under the schoolmaster. But what's identified as the schoolmaster in verse 24? Well, it says the law was our schoolmaster. So if the law was our schoolmaster, 24, and 25 says we're no longer under the schoolmaster, that would mean we're no longer under the law. And if you're not under the law, that means you don't have to obey it anymore. We're no longer under the law of England. So that means you're not amenable, responsible to obey it anymore. We're no longer under the law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. You see that from 24 and 25? I mean, that's the Bible talking here. I know a lot of preachers don't want to admit that, but that's true. We're no longer under the law. That would include the Ten Commandments. That would include all 613 commandments. We're no longer under that law. Not any of it. For me to show you that, we'll come back to verse 26 here. Galatians 5, same book, verse 2 through 4 says, Wherefore, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So if we try to be justified by the law, if you try to bind anything in the Old Testament law, like circumcision, or it could be the Sabbath or anything like that, he says, you're fallen from grace. You lose your salvation. That's how serious this is. Verse 3 says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. What does that mean? That means if you try to bind anything in the old law, no matter how small it is, even just one thing, to be consistent, you're going to have to bind the whole thing. To be consistent, you have to bind the whole thing. Now, Paul's not trying to get him to bind the whole thing in verse 3. He's trying to get him to see that none of it, not one single thing, not even circumcision is still binding today. Nothing in the Old Testament is still binding today. Nothing. We're under the New Testament law exclusively. Hebrews 7.12 says, For the priesthood being changed, there's made of necessity a change also of the law. What's going on in the context there? Well, the context is saying Jesus is our priest. Not only that, he's our high priest, but he couldn't be a priest if the Old Testament law was still binding. Why is that? Because Jesus was from the tribe of Levi. He descended from the Jacob's son, Levi. Jesus didn't come from Levi. I'm sorry, he came from Judah. He descended from Jacob's son, Judah, not from Levi. And to be a priest, you had to descend from Levi. He's of the wrong tribe. So he could not be a priest if the Old Testament law was still binding because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. But he is our priest, so the verse Hebrews 7, 12 is saying priesthood must have changed. And if the priesthood changed, there's made of necessity a change also the law. It's just like Galatians 5, 3. It's all or nothing. If you can't just change part of the law, you can't change, like, for example, the ceremonial law and, that the, and then say the moral law is still binding. You can't do that. It's either all or nothing. There's been, if you change the priesthood, you have to change the whole thing. You change the oil in your car. What does that mean? You drain out four old, dirty quarts of oil. You replace it with four new quarts of oil, oil, clean. You don't put in two of the old quarts back in to save a little money. That would defeat the whole purpose of changing the oil. So when we change the oil, that means we completely replace the old oil with the new oil. Hebrews 7.12 says there's been a change in the law. That would mean we completely replace the old law with the new law. 
just like Galatians 5.3 is saying, we're under the New Testament law exclusively. Everything that we're required to do is stated for us in the New Testament law. The Old Testament law should still be studied because it's going to help us understand the New Testament law, which is our law for today. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26 says, For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, it says we're children of God by faith. That could be saying you're a child of God by faith, not by the law. But I think based upon the rest of the chapter, it's more likely saying this. You're not a child of God by birth anymore, by being born a descendant of Abraham. We'll see that in verse 29. Not a child of God by birth. You're a child of God by faith. You're not a child of God because you're born as a descendant of Abraham or as Jacob, his grandson, to be more specific. You're not a child of God by faith. You're, a, excuse me, you're not a child of God by birth. You're a child of God by faith. Verse 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This little for that begins verse 27, F-O-R, means to introduce the reason. In other words, the reason you're a child of God by faith is because you've been baptized into Christ. The way you became a child of God by faith is by being baptized into Christ. And notice this, it says you're baptized into Christ. That would mean that until you're baptized, you're not in Christ. Romans 6 says the same thing, obviously talking about water baptism because it says it's a burial and it's a, it's a, it's a picture or a likeness of the barren resurrection of Christ. That's water baptism. That's the water baptism is a picture or a likeness of the burial and resurrection of Christ. You go down in the water, it looks like the burial of Christ. You come up out of the water, it looks like the resurrection of Christ. That's the point of Romans 6, 3 through 5. And it says there in Romans 6, you're, there also you're baptized into Christ. This baptism into Christ is verse 25 is talking about is talking about water baptism. That makes sense because Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He said in Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Ananias told Saul of Tarsus in Acts 22, 16, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. And 1 Peter 3, 21 says, baptism doth also now save us. So obviously you're baptized into Christ. If you're not, if you've not been baptized in water, you're not in Christ. You're not in the save relationship with Christ. You're not in fellowship with Christ. The way you became a child of God by faith was by being baptized into Christ, verse 27. So you got to have faith to be saved and you can't be a child of God without being baptized according to those scriptures. I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but it doesn't really matter because God says it and it's very clear. It's not ambiguous. It's teaching. You got to have faith to be a child of God and you become a child of God by faith by being baptized into Christ. So you can't, you're not in Christ. You can't be. You can't become a child of God by faith unless you're baptized into Christ. Many people don't think baptism is that important, but God sure does. He says you got to do it to be saved. Jesus said that in Mark sixteen sixteen. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. Now, let me continue reading here in Galatians three twenty eight. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all 
one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's why I say, I thought verse 26 is probably saying, you're not a child of God by birth anymore. You're a child of God by faith. Because he's going to talk about then, if you become a child of God by faith, by being baptized into Christ, verse 27, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ and you become a child of God by faith, 26 and 27, then are you Christ, belong to Christ, then are you Abraham, Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Your birth doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to be a physical descendant of Abraham. You don't have to be circumcised. You're, you're, you're a heirs of the promise to Abraham and these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Not because you're a physical descendant of Abraham. It's not by birth anymore. It's by faith. As many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, you belong to Christ, and now you're a spiritual Jew, you might, we might say. You are Abraham's seed, not because you're physically a descendant of his, but because you are his seed because you've become a Christian. You became a child of God by faith by being baptized into Christ. If you got a question, well, I'm all ears. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. So if you don't become a child of God by birth anymore, instead it's by faith, by being baptized into Christ, that means what 28 said. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female, for y'all one in Christ. Well, it used to matter whether you're Jew or Greek. Because you had to be a Jew to be a child of God in the sense that it's being talked about here. You had to be a descendant of Abraham. More technically, a descendant of his son, Jacob. You were a child of God by faith and you were circumcised. And so there, there was a Jew, Greek, Jew, Gentile distinction back then. But now that you're not, people don't become a child of God by birth anymore. It doesn't matter how you're born. You are a child of God by faith, by being baptized into Christ, 26 and 27. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're bond or free. In our society, we say it doesn't matter about a work status. You can be the executive of a company or the lowest man on the totem pole. That wouldn't make any difference about whether if you become a child of God by faith, by being baptized into Christ, then you're a Christian. You're a child of God. It doesn't matter about your birth anymore. You're all one in Christ, whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female, bond or free. You're all one. You're all equals, peers in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, meaning you've been become a child of God by faith, by being baptized into Christ, verse 29, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-877. 655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. So we've looked at Galatians 3, 19 through 29, and a lot of what we've seen is, is that we're not under that Old Testament law anymore. We're not under the Old Testament law. You know, Ephesians 2.15 might help us to see that same thing. Ephesians 2.15 says this, Having abolished in his flesh, this is talking about Jesus, and in his flesh, I have, no doubt, I'm pretty sure that's talking about in his death, having abolished in his flesh or in his death the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, 
for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Jesus abolished these commandments, these ordinances. What does that mean? Well, for, if those laws are abolished, that would mean you don't have to keep them anymore. Like up until I think the late 1990s, you had the federal 55 mile per hour speed limit law. Every, you, no matter what interstates you were on, the speed limit, the high speed limit was going to be 55. You had to obey that. But they, in the late 90s, they abolished that law. So you don't have to obey. You don't have to go 55 anymore. In Alabama, most of our uh, interstate highways this uh, is 70 miles an hour. You can go 70 miles an hour. The, the 55, the national 55 mile per hour speed limit law has been abolished. Not to follow that anymore. Well, this says God's commandments, his ordinances were abolished. Well, it's obviously talking about the Old Testament law. That's the point here. And if they're abolished, that would mean you don't have to keep them anymore, right? Well, let's turn to Romans 7. Here's another passage that talks about how we're not under the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. I'm turning to Romans chapter 7. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Romans 7, 4 says this, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So verse 4 says we're dead to the law. Whatever law that's talking about, certainly we don't have to keep it anymore because we're dead to the law. Angel from Wisconsin, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, Pat. It's Angel. Um, hey, Angel. How you doing? You know, hanging on. Uh, you can, I'm hoping you could still study with Russ and me, even if it's on a different time than Travis. You could still study with Russ and me, the Bible over the I, phone, if you would like. Okay, Angel? I know. No pressure. <laughs> go but ahead. It was, you know, what does the Bible say about abuse? Because I know it has, you know, answers on forgiveness. But, you know, there's always a flip side of it, too, is, you know, what does it say about abuse and how to handle it? So, so I'm going to assume your minute, you're probably talking about a husband abusing his wife. That, yeah. Maybe that's the question? Yeah. So if a husband hits a wife, he should be put in jail. But that's not cause for divorce because Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, whoever puts away their wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another commits adultery. And whosoever marries her that is put away doth commit adultery. So the only cause for divorce is if somebody cheats on you. So right. if your husband cheats on you sexually with another woman, you can divorce him. Otherwise, you can't. Instead, if he's if he's hitting you, just like... If another man is hitting you, somebody that's not your husband is hitting you, he ought to be thrown in jail. Okay? Yeah. Um, my other question is, there's a passage in the book of Ezra that also kind of talks about abuse. Um, I don't know the exact passage. Um, oh, I had it booked the other day. What's it talking can... about? Um, just talking about verbal abuse as well, because that's, you know, a pretty common thing. Verbal abuse along with physical abuse is, you know, a struggle. So, Well, verbal abuse is bad. Right. You know, so a person that's verbally or physically abusing anybody needs to repent of that so they can be forgiven. Right. But, but of course, you are not going to be able to control what somebody else does, right? Right. 
if you have a brother, I'm not talking about a husband, but a brother who verbally or physically abuses you, that guy needs to, if he's physically abusing you especially, needs to be thrown in jail. He's your brother. But it doesn't mean he's not your brother anymore. He's still going to be your right. brother. He just needs to be dealt with. And you can't necessarily control it. And it's unfortunate when somebody's not acting like the Bible tells them to act. If they don't receive just punishment here, they're going to receive just punishment in the afterlife, though. Okay, Angel? Yep. So that's what I've been looking into, um, along with, you know, of course, forgiveness, because Jesus says we're supposed to forgive 70 times, seven times. So, <laughs> Yeah. Of course, you only, Jesus said in Luke 17, 3, if your brother sins, re rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So you don't have to, you only, you only forgive somebody if they repent. But I'm going to have to go off the air, Angel. I just got a warning. I got about 20 seconds left. Thank you for your call, Angel. Thanks, Pat. All right. Bye-bye.